Welcome to On the Table, a podcast about board games, card games, and tabletop war games. Welcome back to episode 119 of the On the Table Gaming podcast. We're coming up on a new year, and as we wrap up 2021, I'm joined by Brian Kerr from Big Top Gaming. Welcome back to the podcast, Brian. Yeah, thanks for having me, Chase. It's always a pleasure to be here, uh, kind of waxing philosophical with you. Yeah, we've got a few things we want to talk about today. So number one, we're, we're right on the precipice of these new updates, the 2022 updates. I can't believe it was only a year ago we were just talking about the 2021 updates, but they already teased some of the changes coming up with changes to some game mode updates, uh, tournament documents, and the kind of a few core elements maybe shifting about. And I'm sure we're going to find out more about that, but I want to kind of get into that a little bit with you. And then I, I just got my 2021 card update pack for free folk, and I picked up Mag the Mighty, and I really want to get him on the table. And I know you're somewhat of a free folk aficionado as well, so maybe you can give me some tips there as well. How's that sound? Yeah, absolutely. Like I, I know that uh, I also collected all of my uh, my 2021 card packs recently from one of my local game stores or, or local-ish game stores. But unfortunately, the first one that I sleeved up were my Targaryens, but the the Free Folk were not too far behind. And uh, getting my hands on the Free Folk Heroes two box, uh, you know, I I've, I don't know how many people pay attention to like just. I don't know, between my channel for the YouTube videos and then the small stint that I had as a podcast for Big Top Gaming, I, I've been chomping at the bit for one one for so long and i didn't even think that magmar would would be you know one of the people that we get or one of the giants that we got to play with so like getting them both in the box like i'm a happy camper i think there's a, a company out there called scale bro minis um i know i bought a earthworm gem model from them a real real long time ago but they they had a, a one one model that i was like really on the cusp of buying from them but i'm glad i held out because now i've got you know uh my own little cool mini or not one one hanging out you got that kind of like long lasting connection with them. You could call him Magmar. I think only his mom calls him Magmar. So yeah, yeah, I know it's a, uh one of the things that I'm, you know, when, when I talk about one, one, it's always like, you know, trying not to say his full name all the way through. So, um, I, I definitely, uh, very much appreciate all things giants. Um, free folks been a, a big faction for me in general. I think it's one of the only factions that I own right now. That's just about completely painted. And that's including like the eight base. Oof raiders and the four bases of trappers that that i've yes. got you know when i first started out so uh they're 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 near and dear to my heart well you know and then after all of this we had a, an interesting discussion going on in the on the table gaming uh patreon discord and uh they're talking about kind of rebuilding communities and it's something that we've been thinking out about a lot as well you know it's been really tough with covid and all those things and i know we're you know i don't want to jinx it here as like another big wave as omicron uh, omicron comes through but we're really looking at starting to build up our community again and trying to get back into stores and we've got the card packs coming. And so it's, it's kind of time to like, you know, refly the banners and start, start really getting in some serious games of this. So, you know, talking about kind of building community and this, this conversation of social contracts that was kind of getting hinted at in the discord, let's, let's jump on that at the end of all this as well, and kind of lay out some of the things that might be helpful in, in building a successful group. Yeah, absolutely. So let's jump right in here on game mode. So we had a Q and a, one of the developer Q and A's recently, and they hinted at some of the changes coming. And so one of the first things that they mentioned actually, that was really interesting was that they're going to be removing the commanders scoring additional victory points on objectives. So, you know, a lot of times when you're playing like game of Thrones, like there's kind of the same sort of strategy, everyone kind of goes in and parks their commander right away on that 
point uh, and then it just kind of sits there for the rest of the game. So, you know, any initial thoughts on that coming through that you know, you're no longer getting those those extra points there? Well, I know that, you know, that the commanders scoring extra points while they were on scenario elements was one of the balancing factors for the, the NCU commanders. It was like, oh, well, you know, you if you take an NCU commander, yeah, you're getting a free NCU. But here's something to help combat that, which, you know, after, uh, you know, witnessing all the games and all the data we have in front of us that didn't really seem to matter so much like the ncu commander was just so powerful but now since they've done away with ncu commanders there wasn't really much of a need to have this extra scoring mechanic for the commanders themselves but what that does is it allows you to be a little bit more what's the word i'm looking for maybe a aggressive <laughs> hazard i would say oh, or there we go. okay uh, all right one man's aggressive is another man's haphazard all right go ahead yeah i would say like you can be just a little bit more aggressive with some of these commanders that are meant to like get into the mix so if we think about someone like great john omber or uh the mountain the these are very aggressive in victarian jeepers creepers victarian but um you know these are uh commanders that like to be in the mix and doing work and you know to sit there and say you know well victarian Greyjoy would rather sit on this objective and get these extra points for me than go off and charge forward into combat that that kind of doesn't make sense for them so now you can actually play them a little bit more farther forward and really make sure that they're doing the things they want to do without sacrificing any kind of uh, scoring advantage that you might get during the game with them. They're starting to become kind of like predictable openers or maneuvers that like, you know, everyone's going to go for on this scenario. It's going to be the same sort of approach because you got to get your commander up to here, you put your range units over here. Like, you know, it, it sort of starts to smack a little bit of chess. And I guess if anything, if, if I was a chess player, I'd be like, what is like ro- the romantic era of chess playing? Like I want those like bold, decisive maneuvers where your commander's getting out there. And I think this kind of opens that up a bit more for, you know, I don't have to have Tormund chilling in the back, sitting on objective. Like he can be out there smacking face. Well, you know, a unit of trappers, uh, one of your painted ones can be, can hold an objective for me instead. So I think this is going to be great. And it just shifts things up a little bit. And you're right. Like you said, it's it's a legacy item that kind of was a carryover that really isn't as necessary now. Another thing that changed was the update to actions. So now a unit can't activate and essentially do nothing by taking the retreat action and just not utilizing like the, the May retreat. You could just stay where you are and pass. And so now they are saying it's something they hinted at maybe being called perhaps no cowardice in combat. And so now you must either attack or you must make a retreat action. Like you actually have to move. So if you're going up against like the Bolton Blackguards, you can't just choose to be like, you know, I'm not going to hit you. We're just going to stand there. Um, and so that might actually be kind of a, a nice little uh, a switch here. And there, and I get that. I know it's tactical, right? You Sometimes there's situations where like, oh, that's a, that's a cool option to do. But it does feel a little bit weird thematically. And, uh, you know, I don't know. I, I feel like maybe not in like the spirit of the game in some ways. When it comes to making sure that you're getting the most out of the points for units that you've brought, like if you're playing Blackguard or uh, um, like Lannister Guardsmen, you want to make sure that those points that you've spent for those abilities that trigger when your opponent hits you are being, uh, you know, well spent. Mm. This is just a way to make sure that you're not losing out on those, you know, whereas before you might not take them because you know that your opponent can just kind of dodge the ability. But if we rewind the clock a little bit, when when you were talking about chess, you know, I, I think that tactically in in competitive, you know, world that taking your activation and just sacking it so that you can, you know, get some kind of tactical advantage. It makes, you know, it, it's an interesting ploy that uh, I think some players definitely would would have 
like to have continued to take advantage of. I mean, as free folk players, right, we've been there. I don't I don't want to punch those guys. You you punch my Raiders. I'll just sit here. Yep. And then they're just jumping around them and, and not really doing anything. But when you think about like if we try to take what's happening on the table and frame it in our heads in more of a theatrical ver- a theatrical way. Right. Because like that's what we're doing here. We're, we're kind of just executing some really interesting battles through miniatures on a tabletop. Yeah, yeah toy soldiers. Exactly. Right. So like no one's going to be sitting there after you charge in and just be like, nope, I don't want to attack. <laughs> here. There, there are awkward. Yeah, there are some interesting rules, conundrums, I think, that come out of this. And I think uh, the only one that I can really think of right now is uh, like issue command that's ended up popping up every now, now and again, because they aren't if you're activating a unit and then doing issue commands, you're not really attacking or retreating. So like what what's that actually mean? Um, I think it's it's not that, you know, rules as intended, I think, is that they can still do their issue command if they're engaged and not worry about it. But, um, you know, there's kind of like a, a, a gap or a loophole in there that like I don't know how it's supposed to work out in the game. So, you know, does issue command not not work if you're engaged like can you not do that or you know the interesting thing that we'll need to get some answers on in the near future but overall like i think it's a good change for the game and uh you know i'm excited to see people start bringing some of those units that uh that have negative consequences for swinging at them so i could see with issue commands for example tywin lannister lord of castle rock i could see that being one that maybe gets into like an faq because it's probably going to be asked quite frequently, but it's when it com- when your commander's unit activates, this unit cannot perform actions this turn. Instead, target one other friendly unit in long range. It performs one attack or charge action. So it sounds like that would just mean that you just don't get to perform actions, right? It overrides the you know attack or retreat, just don't get to do action. So I think that'll probably come up a lot, but I, I feel like the card text may be pretty clear there, but you know, maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, it might be more of an FAQ than than kind of a rules misinterpretation right. or kind of loophole at all. Um, and maybe I'm just being a little nitpicky. That's what's cool about this is like it's going to anytime there's an update and even like small changes to these rules can sometimes have like kind of a rippling effect of of what, you know, other cards or abilities or tactics might do. So it's always kind of cool to be on the lookout for those things. The other big one that I thought was fascinating was that now Oh, sorry, in the new update, in the 2021, 2022 update, if there's no room on the tactics board, you can't activate an NCU. Like you don't get to take like, you know, activate and just pass with it. So if the board is filled up, you just don't get to do anything. It just skips over it. No activation, no turn. So Walder Frey, for example, Lord of the Crossing, I you know he's like, if he's your third NCU and you're going to an opponent with three NCUs, that's that's going to be a little bit rough. You know, he's going to be sitting on the sideline on his chair. Yeah, it kind of makes you think twice about trying to build a list with three NCUs. It, it, and that's one one part of it, you know, is like, do you want to actually risk playing into three NCUs and then just having to play four points down every other turn and making sure that you have to activate your NCUs first. And sometimes that's not always what you want to do. I know that with a lot of us wanting to like drain the activation pool to make sure that we're, um, you know, taking taking as much actions as we can off of the actual game table and putting them on that NCU board, you know, it, it can hurt quite a bit just having a dead activation of that, you know, four to five points because, you know, that's the world we live in with NCUs now. There's no such thing as a three pointer, you know, Does, and, and maybe like um, Jeepers Creepers, Sam and Gilly. 
like they they might be an interesting element Ooh. to that. But. Does this change your stock in like Piet Pri at all? I know you've been playing some tar. Read my mind, Chase, because that was the next thing. I was like, the 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 stock on Priet Pri has gone way way up. So if you're wanting to play Targaryens with three NCU's, it almost seems like Priet Pri needs to be one of them because then that's going to guarantee that you'll get the most out of your activations. And he doesn't bring a terrible ability either. Like it's not what it used to be, where it was like kind of roll your D6 and have like fun times with him. But I think that just adding that extra uh, tactics board zone with the House of the Dead is a really big deal. And uh, I could definitely see people starting to bring him along more. Man, okay. So I wonder if, they, yeah, I'll be excited to see how that kind of ripples across. And that's just the things they like hinted at there, right? So we also think there's going to be a 2022 tournament document update. So we'll see what sort of small changes maybe trickle through there. And then the other big thing is they talked about these starter sets. We're going to have a new Lannister starter set and a new Stark starter set. And uh, the sculpts on those look fantastic. Um, are, is this something like I know you've got a, a few sets of miniatures of this game. Is this something that's at all enticing? Like, do these sculpts kind of compel you to buy something for a faction that you maybe already have pretty flushed out? Like, are you looking to get some new Lannister sculpts? For my Lannister side of things, I have the equivalent of two starter sets worth of Lannisters just because, you know, I it made sense to buy them in doubles. For the Starks, though, I probably like it's it's two plus some because there was, you know, back in ye old days of Ice and Fire, like there was a pretty stand, not standard, but I'd say like a really competitive list in the early days where it was like maybe six units of uh, Stark Sworn Swords. And mm -hmm. I have that many sworn swords hanging around and even saying that the sculpts that came out of the the preview <laughs> of these things are so amazing that i'm just like i will get those starter sets 100 because they're just so good like i'm i'm when i first started one of the things that i really enjoyed was great john umber and i don't know if i like great john's um new sculpt as much as i like the kickstarter the sculpt. Mm. um but the uh the Umber Berserkers are really, really good looking. And, oh my gosh. Uh, you know, I, I have a Sworn Sword painting tutorial that was probably one of the first painting tutorials I ever did for A Song of Ice and Fire. And one of the things I said in there was like, uh, I don't know how you want to, like, I'm paraphrasing here, but I don't, I, I put out like how I would normally paint the face of something, but that one of them was like, this is a potato face that only a mother <laughs> would love because that's basically, it was like two pits for eyeballs and then maybe like something that resembled a mouth or a nose. Now to see that they have much more uh, fleshed out details on them is is really nice to see. Um, and the fact that they ended up uh, switching out the uh, oddball units like the Outriders from the Starks and then the uh, Mountainsmen from the Lannisters for the Brigands and the Karstarks, uh, it gives me a good reason to buy those boxes, too. Yeah, I think that's a great, a smart move on their part. Uh, you know, then the Lannister forces, there was always like sideways Sam. There was like this one Lannister guardsman who was just like, like looking off at a weird angle. Angle. I don't know if you know what I'm talking about, yeah. but, uh, it, you know, he's, he's ready to be retired. I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to buy these and I'm going to sprinkle them into my other units because I think now I'm with my maths here, but does that mean you could have a unit? If you buy these expansions, the new units, you could have a unit then of entirely individual miniatures. Well, there's five individual sculpts for the new Starks, right? Because you've got the, the leader is different from the, the banner. 
-hmm. and then there's three sculpts outside that so that would be five different models and then the old one there was well you you'd be stacking banners but there were three different sculpts outside of that so you could get pretty close to having almost an entirely unique stand of of miniatures i think close but not quite i mean that that i think would be kind of cool just to get them a little bit you know a little bit more variety in there and you know i'm kind of excited to have a lannister starter set that has some cavalry in it you know before having the whole infantry box i think it's kind of fun getting a chance to have a little bit more of like a combined arms feel and now you pick up a box you pick up a range unit maybe mercenaries or uh, your crossbowmen and you've got like a lot of different options to play and you know like you said some of those sculpts they were good when they came out but the sculpts have improved dramatically and you know that that sideways save that one that one lannister guy looking to the left and there was a few of those like you said the the stark uh, sworn swords who are in kind of interesting poses uh, it'll be fun to update those and i think when like a new player is getting into the game instead of like kind of pointing them to the oldest sculpts in a great valued starter set you can now just say hey pick up one of these starter sets that are individual factions and you know you get a really good looking force there so i think you know all around this is pretty cool it'll be enough to get me to pick up you know probably one of each starter i don't think i'll do any multiples i've got enough of these basic units to last me for a while here but (laughs) i I think the 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 sculpt that i'm most excited out of about for between the two starter sets would be like Catelyn Stark's model just has so much more movement to her and you know she looked very regal and uh you know she was in the original starter set she she looked just you know she had this air to her that you know that was Catelyn Stark like she was someone who was important but this new one just makes her look so whimsical and much present than she was before and I think that's probably like if I had to say most improved sculpt on the character side I would say she definitely takes the cake I mean Jamie Lannister is a close second though but oh um, man I they really, made a joke really about like Jamie her. bringing a tactical rock with him still <laughs> the, the <laughs> yeah. other thing is uh you know for those longtime listeners long time hobbyist of A Song of Ice and Fire. Is it, is it too late? Has this died off? Sansa Stark with, with Lady? I was really hoping maybe we'd see a, a sculpt with her. Yeah, just maybe. Just maybe. that Maybe that'll come in like the the uh, uh, like uh, organized play kit or something. Like there's still hope. Oh my I, God. I'm if not, they did uh, that, that would be amazing. So I don't know if you, did you see Creative Childs, the, the people that are doing the sculpting for this now and the painting, which is phenomenal. Uh, at one of the holiday parties, they had given someone a Sansa with Lady they'd painted up. And I was like, that is such a brilliant little gift, little like meme thing they did. I really hope that happens. And we got to bring it back. There used to be when like people were going to conventions, Michael Chanel would like slip in like little notes, you know, hashtag, you know, lady or like, you know, rip lady. We got we to bring that back. We got to put a little pressure to get them working on a skull for her because that would be fantastic. Sansa with lady was like, uh, you know, the the stick that that Michael would use to poke the community. Yes, exactly. I don't I don't have the the greatest rapport with with Jim Ludwig, but um, the few times that I've interacted with him, I've I've really tried to put the elbow on him to be like, hey, do you have one of these lady models with? Let's let's the, do it. He's just like, no, I can't do that. That <laughs> you got to you got to make sure when you're we're walking up to these people, you know, with no context that you're you're giving a little bit of context for Song of Ice and Fire, sir, please. Uh, you're not just stopping random miniature makers and lady models. <laughs> Who is oh, this yeah, guy? Yeah, that's the thing. You just, I, I, I loved the way that model looked too. I was so sad that someone, you know, had to call it out. Yes. You know, a rivet counter. Forever, forever go down in history is like the person who, who ruined part of, uh, we should go, 
No, it's probably, this only leads to a negative place, but I was like, we could probably go through the Kickstarter comments and like find out who was the first person to point this out, but they'd never hear the end of it. No, that's too mean. You're right. So instead let's talk about, uh, there's some, so I just got my, my 2021 cards. I'm excited to get some free folk going on the table here. And I have mag the mighty. I, I, as soon as I got the package, I, I took a photo of it. I slapped it on my Instagram. You know, I got to do it for the, the, the gram guys. And, uh, I hadn't even opened it yet. And then I, I was so excited. I'm gonna try and paint him up this weekend. And then I realized, well, I don't really know how to play Magna Muddy. Like, how do I build a list with him? It's kind of awkward, like points wise. And, you know, I'm thinking, are there some things that like, you know, just seem on paper, like you would always use like Craster and Lady Val, those seem kind of like obvious. I don't know if maybe I should be taking Mance to get some more card draw. I don't know. Do you have any thoughts or advice for me to help me at least when I get my first game with them and I start trying to like, you know, kick the tires a bit? Uh, it's not a total disaster. Well, I had my uh, one of my more recent A Song of Ice and Fire videos, um, and I know it was a while ago, was was concerning the Free Folk Hero 2 box with Mag the Mighty and 1-1. And uh, unfortunately, with that video, I didn't get to do the things that I normally like to do, which is just build a list at the end of it to kind of show people, you know, here's what I'm thinking, because the video was just so long with having to go over a whole nother tactics deck and then hitting up two different models in, in that same run. But um, for me, I, you know, it's funny that you said it because Lady Val and Craster are like my windmill slam NCUs for a Meg the Mighty list. Um, you know, the the giants themselves, it's not that they're not maneuverable. It's just that you want to be able to project that threat as much as you can. And uh, given the way that I have this list set up, you can kind of pick and choose what you want to make what you want to do to make sure that you get that extra maneuver um, because a lot of people might not be wanting to give it to you. The other one with Craster is, you know, you want healing in this list because for every, uh, you know, one wound that you end up healing back onto a giant, that's essentially two that your opponent had to do to you to make it uh, go through with their uh, their um, their giant ability, right? Where they only take, uh, you know, one wound for every two unblocked hits. But the, uh, you know, when I first saw Mag the Mighty, I really wish they would have dropped his points down just a little bit. Like Mag the Mighty does quite a bit for, you know, a single model. But, you know, Joffrey does a lot with the Kingsguard and doesn't yeah. any points. So, like, that's maybe my comparison for, like, why I think that uh, Mag probably didn't need to be nine points. And who knows? Maybe we'll see a drop in the future because um, at current, I, I do have a seven activation list ready and raring to go where I do have Mag... Uh, one one and then I only have one savage giant in here to go with them and this is where you kind of get the the three different targets you can choose for Val to kind of project which one you want to project forward first um, depending on what your opponent's bringing if they have a hard time dealing with a three plus save giant then one one can get uh, projected forward first uh, but then outside of that I'm also bringing uh, free folk raiders with a raid leader because getting gang up on someone their, their job is to kind of go up with one one because he's one of the giants that uh, benefits from their gang up ability the most he's one of them yeah but then uh <laughs> you know, when... sorry, he's like we're gonna ignore that all right that's all right <laughs> But then finally, the the one thing that I have in here, and you could tinker with this if you really wanted to and get two Free Folk Raider units, but I did put in a unit of Frozen Shore Chariots um, because they, just being able to have something that can get so far up the table and kind of confuse and confound your opponent, it's just a really nice distraction piece while they're trying to deal with these giants as well. It's, it's one of these, like, I really like layered approaches to... Uh, 
my games and being able to project that chariot first and then get the raiders up there with whatever kind of giant you're wanting to project forward with Lady Val means that you're going to be able to kind of uh, be active throughout the whole game and kind of pick your engagement. So that's the list that personally I would probably play with. But, you know, I, I I see nothing wrong with trying to just throw a bunch of giants down. But having, you know, the extra maneuverability from the frozen short chariots is a really big deal. You know, unfortunately, like I know it's a uh, it's it's unfortunate to say, especially considering that my channel's logo is an elephant itself. I'm just really not feeling the mammoths. And I, I think they need a little bit of an adjustment in order to make me want to put them in lists right now. So unfortunately, they don't quite make it. Even though some of his tactics cards can affect monstrous war mammoths, we're looking for something else. There. We're gonna, we get, for an extra point, getting a giant in there, um, that's a little bit helpful. So, you, so what we're looking at here then is you have a free folk uh, raiders with a raid leader, and they can you know help pair off with 1-1 one, one and, and kind of beef him up a little bit. Frozen short chariot to zip around, harass a little bit. Savage giant, and then mag the mighty. And then you've got your lady Valcraster. So that seems pretty solid. That looks like it'd be pretty fun to run. You know, I remember back in the day, Colin Cleosis had a... Uh, like a three giant list back in like, you know, whenever Free Folk came out, what is that, like 1.2, 1.3, I don't know. But, you know, you, you really had to smash down some units. So this might be a little bit more challenging to run on some of the more objective-heavy scenarios, I think. Yeah, this is one of those lists where I, I like to say attrition to victory, where, um you know, you, you don't want to be camping on points like some other lists might. And I think that's kind of like how Free Folk run. And, and you know, I, I don't know if the developers really intended this, but like it, it really fits kind of the Free Folk theme because there's kind of two different ways I feel like you can run Free Folk. You can either go really wide with a whole lot of units that kind of overwhelm the table that way. And that's how they end up taking victory, not because their stuff is good, but because they have a lot of it and it's all working together or you could play a list like this that just has some really crazy monsters that do a ton of work and they kind of ignore the scenario so like a lot of the um traditional ways of kind of engaging in war for uh the rest of the the folks of the iron kingdoms they would look at some lists like this and be like what are these people even doing and it makes sense for the free folk because they aren't really like they, they don't have the same kind of aims or goals as the rest of the folks of the iron kingdoms do so it's almost like like it's thematically elegant and I don't know if it was intentional, but it definitely plays out that way. And it, it really is one of those things that I can really admire about uh, how the developers have decided to kind of tweak the the free folk a bit. It's really interesting to me, at least. Well, I'm just so excited to get back in and get some of these uh, bigger free folk games on. I have been playing a little bit of Targaryen, so it's kind of funny that you felt that allure as well. But I got to get back to my my free folk roots here and, you know, kind of get talking about getting back to gaming and all of this. Like, man, it's been a crazy guys. It almost been two years now. How long has been all this COVID stuff going on? It's it's been brutal. And, you know, in a lot of ways, you know, communities in some places have languished in other places. They've adapted or moved to other mediums online or um, smaller pods. But it's been kind of crazy. Right. And, you know, we're starting to see some tournaments start to pick up again, just slowly trickling in here in the U.S. We've got the Las Vegas Open in January. So I think it's the 28th to the 30th. And then hopefully that's still going to be going on with all the Omicron stuff. Uh, Depticon is in March. Uh, that's the 23rd to the 27th. And we got WonderCon in April. Uh, and I know also the Captain Con is going to be up here in the in New England area. And that's going to be a great event. We're going to hope to see if we can pop up there and check it out. You know, fingers crossed with all these things going on. But, you know, so as things are starting to open up again, like the tournament scene's starting to build up. Communities are starting to come together. And, you know, we we're talking in the On the Table Gaming Discord with some people where, you know, some communities have fared better than others. 
And, you know, there's some trepidation about getting things back. And someone was actually bringing up a comment. I don't want to misrepresent it, but essentially the idea at its core seemed to stem from the idea that like, can there be some hesitancy in some communities to, to actually meet and play when they fear that there might be like some units that are imbalanced, right? And this perception that like the game is in such a imbalanced space because of a particular unit or list that maybe groups shouldn't form up. And we kind of got into a really cool discussion about community and, you know, social contracts. And, you know, you were weighing in on that as well. And I thought maybe we just take some time and, and talk about it and kind of just a little bit of a ramble here and and maybe it'll resonate with some other people in the community. And, and this is a conversation we can consider or continue. So, you know, when we say like social contracts, you know, how do you interpret that, Brian? What comes to mind for you? Kicking back to my my old podcast, podcasting days here. One of the things that I had discussed uh, in in depth with uh, Rebecca Banky of the of War Machine popularity was the idea of smart goals in gaming. And, you know, as a person who not only works within a leadership role in my professional life, but also is really big on uh you know, development and, uh, you know, other other like just development in general for my staff. Smart goals are something that we really try to pay attention to. And, you know, that's a specific, uh, measurable, uh, actionable, right? Yeah. Or achievable sometimes. Same thing. Well, yeah. And then uh, timely. And I'm sure I'm missing a letter in there. Relevant. We got to spell smart, sir. We are smart. So relevant, reasonable, realistic, you know, we those, uh, those variations. Yep. So at any rate, like, you know, if, if you uh, I, I one of these days, I might have to actually just export all that all that audio into my YouTube channel because it is yes. a really great discussion. Um, but the the thing about gaming, you know, and maybe it wasn't so much it. I think smart goals were much more relevant when at least when we weren't in a pandemic situation for maybe more. Uh, competitive minded players who kind of wanted to get the most they could out of their games. But nowadays, you know, we don't live in a world right now, at least where um, we can just walk into the game store and have, you know, three or four people just lined up ready and raring to go to play where we could kind of pick and choose what we wanted to do. Be like, oh, well, you're playing Night's Watch. I want to practice against those. So I'm going to put this down and, and let's just do it. You know, we, we have <laughs> most of our games now are set up in, you know, uh, uh, pandemic respectful yeah. situations or, you know, they're, they're so they're very distanced and everything. I forgot what that was like. I, I just, when you said that, I was like, now whenever I go to play, like I never just show up on the night. I'm always just like messaging people and being like, Hey, who's going to be there? Or like, you know, just to make sure, you know, and it's like, yeah, that's, that's been a big change. Yeah, absolutely. I know that, uh, you know, between the other games that I play, it's like, you know, you have to set these games up a week or two in advance just to be like, okay, I want to make sure that when I show up, there's going to be someone there and that I'm picking a night where like maybe the game store isn't so flooded or maybe I'm playing in my house and need to make sure that, uh, you know, I'm respecting the, the schedules of the rest of my family here. But so, it, you know, the, the big deal deal here is that, you know, we're we're spending a lot more time trying to organize our single encounters. We don't get to have these nights where we're playing like two or three games in a night. The thing is, is like if you're spending all this time kind of scheduling and planning for the game that you're going to play against your opponent, why not take that extra step and make sure that the game that you're going to play is going to deliver the results that you're looking for. Right. So, you know, if you and your opponent are sitting here and you're like, this is the one game I'm going to play for one or maybe two weeks for some people, it might even be the only game they play for the month. Mm -hmm. And 
you know, you're sitting there like, okay, well, I'm, I'm going to bring this list that I want to try out because I've been, you know, pining over it for, you know, weeks and weeks now. And I want to make sure that, you know, like it plays out on the table the way that I think it does. And then your opponent does something like brings a night watch gun line where they're shooting, you know, three or four times with one unit in a, in a single round, or they're bringing three dragons. And that's not something that your list was really meant to deal with. Um, you know, that that doesn't really like leave a good taste in your mouth. And they, I can see like maybe why some people might leave the game after a while because they like go into these games kind of blindly. So like it's good to have that discussion with your opponent up front to say, what is it that I want out of this game and what can my opponent do to make sure that we're both getting what we want out of it? Right. So talking about, you know, this is the list I want to play. Please bring something that doesn't completely dumpster it. And if you're playing against someone who's like a little bit more competitively minded, they probably might actually enjoy going through the process of trying to make a list that doesn't completely counter the one that you're playing. You know, they want to have a good, close, fun game where, you know, it's a uh, you're, you're trading blows back and forth and they're trying to shovel their way out of bad situations just based on what things play out on the game or on the table instead of, you know, just how the um, the rules of the models they're bringing are just kind of like, you know, pushing your face in the snow. Yeah, I think in our, our chat when we were talking about this in the On the Table Gaming Discord, I was sharing this like kind of hilarious paintball experience I had where back when I was coaching, you know, we took our, our gym to go play paintball and it's this thing, we played this thing called Billy Ball where you can like basically shoot like one paintball every like, two to three seconds. So it's like a very like slowed down version. And uh, so we got our group together and somebody brought their friend and their friend had invested all this money in paintball gear. And, you know, they had spent a lot of money. They had all the stuff they had collected. And so they really felt like, you know, man, I, I invested all this stuff in this. Like, so I, I really want to use it uh, because, you know, I paid for it and such. And so we went onto the the field and we're, you know, getting ready. We start off and we're running around. And we start to hear the pop. And then you just hear like, pop, 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 and this guy just brutalized everybody. And you know, it, it wasn't fun for the majority, right? I, I, I can't really speak to whether or not he was having fun, but maybe it sounded like he was. But you know, and afterwards we had to sit down with them and say, hey, man, like this isn't really working, and it's not really fitting with what the the, the purpose and the experience we're trying to build here as this sort of like team bonding, ex social experience, etc. Or even you know, develop some skills, have some fun. And you know, this was like a little resistant, right? You know, it's like, hey, I have all these things there. You know, he and he had spent money, he had invested these things, but after talk with him, we were able to, you know, convince him to switch over and we were able to kind of work as a group and then have some fun games that were balanced because it took a little bit of compromise, a little bit of discussion. And, you know, if he's a hardcore competitive paintballer, you know, maybe he's not going to practice the same sort of things that he would have in a, in a, in a match with different people, different things, but there were still skills he could be working on, you know, with the, the billy ball uh, markers. So, you know, I kind of think of sometimes about that with like gaming too, is like you can show up sometimes and, you know, you know, you're coming and there's some newer players. Maybe you're not going to run the, the most, uh, your most fine tuned competitive list. Maybe you're going to take something else and you're going to work on practicing, you know, getting out of bad positions or being like, hey, how can I, how can I really get the most out of, I don't know, uh, mammoths or something, right? Like, how can I really try and crack this and uh, trying to find a way to, to work on other skills to build mastery of? But, you know, I think it really comes down, would you say, maybe just to all communication? Like, are we all on the same page as far as like values of what we're looking for and what we're agreeing to spend this time on? Yeah, well, and I swear 
that, you know, having like the one to two hour conversation with your opponent offline, right, about what you want to have out of the experience that you're going to be presenting yourselves with, it, it's going to lead to a better game and a, just a better experience in general. So, um, you know, I, I think some competitive players, the like they might twitch a little bit when we talk about having these kind of conversations and kind of pulling your punches or not bringing your best. But the thing is, is like, what are you actually proving to yourself as a competitive player by bringing these overtuned or I wouldn't say I, I kind of want to say exploitative lists, but not really exploited? You, you know, what are you doing by bringing something like uh, a triple dragon for NCU list against someone who just really wants to try out their uh, um, I don't know. Uh, why can't I think of his name? The 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 pit fighter from Targaryens. Belois, strong Belois. You know what? What are you getting by bringing your dragons list to someone who just wants to try and get a Belois list to work? You know that you're not really learning a whole lot, and all you're really doing is going through the motions. So as a competitive player, bringing those lists that might be like, OK, let's just figure out how I can do this. It's another way of kind of solving problems in the game. And you never know if you might find something you're like, you know what? I really like the way that thing performed on the table. Maybe I need to start rolling that into some of my other lists. And then that's how more development comes out of it. You know, like there's no such thing as a solved meta, right? Like right. it just doesn't exist. There's always a lot of fluidity that comes with it. And if you're uh, kind of adapting the way that you think about the game and how you're approaching it and the different kind of games you can get on the table, um, I think that's kind of the catalyst to getting to that next step to to beat the things that are out there. One of the, you know, so there's a lot of terms and things to unpack there. And uh, but one of the things that stood out to me, talking about like meta lists, and uh, I have some communities, especially like for Star Wars Legion that I play in that have some members in there that are like wildly creatively off meta. And they'll just run things that you're just like, I've never seen anyone do that. And, you know, there's been some times when there's been like the, the latest like hotness in the game and everyone's running this. And then it just so happens that some guy who's like kind of goofing around running like, you know, double tanks or, rubber, you know, a ton of armor or skewing something random that no one does. And it's suddenly being like, well, wow, that's like the absolute perfect counter to to what is going on here and sometimes stumbled in by by accident. And so, you know, that that sort of resonates with me. But, you know, I think also like it's about what your time like, what are you allotting that time for? Um, and I guess I kind of keep going back to like what I know and, and then thinking about like combat sports coming from like a jujitsu Muay Thai MMA background there. You know, if a new guy comes in, like you don't you don't get into fights with people who aren't trained, right? You know, like pick fights on the street because there's not really anything to do there, right? It's it's uh, it's a mismatch of skill. Like you want to go against other skilled opponents. And when you're getting together to train for gaming, you know, are you both showing up there just to have a good time and, and to, to talk about the latest episode of uh, the book of Boba Fett and roll some dice and push some things around? Are you working to practice and solve some questions? Are you actually trying to run the most competitive list you have? And as long as you do not like mismatch on those expectations, you know, you're going to have a lot more fun right? On, on all accounts. And, and I've been guilty of the opposite. I mean, the other day I went to go play some Legion and I had 3D printed some Skullforge mud troopers and I printed out and I've made a, a whole mud trooper army with an ATDTs, big walker and all these troopers. And I wanted to run everything like as what they look like, like the proxy and as close to possible. It wasn't a competitive list. I just basically was going to play what I had. And I showed up and I was like, oh, I'll get a game. I saw a guy there, let's grab a game. And I set up my stuff and I'm all kind of excited to see what stuff looks like on the table. And this, my opponent brought a, a list that he's working on and really trying to fine tune and polish for tournament play. And, you know, there really wasn't a, a great chance I would have a winning in it. You know, I gave it my best and it was fun to kind of play from behind. But at the same time, I'm like, wow, am I in this matchup? Did I just actually take away like two hours of this guy's training time when he's really trying to run this 
And I guess, you know, he learns some information. He can play against like a, a larger trooper spam army and fine. Uh, and there were unique problems that come up in the game. But it's like, man, if we had had a conversation beforehand, this may have been not the army he wanted to face tonight. And that may not have been the army I wanted to face tonight. And we got our one game in. And But that was it for that week. Like, we'll see you next week. And, you know, that was the game we got to have. Uh, and so, you know, you know, having those conversations, you said like an hour conversation, even like a quick conversation. What are people looking for? I think that can be really helpful. Yeah, absolutely. I know that uh, when when I talk about striking this social contract, I kind of disparage the competitive player in that conversation. At least, you know, that that's how I felt like I was delivering it. But that's the other thing. The other side of that is like the, it's also beneficial to a competitive player who is trying to go for this high level competitive or tournament play. You know, having the like having just the conversation with your opponent to say, you know what, I'm bringing in my a game and i just want to play against metal lists so like you throw down your dragons and throw down your night's watch machine gun list like i want to see if i can go into this and and be fine and if you're playing if you end up just kind of you know showing up with whatever they decide to show up with you're probably not going to be playing you might not play against those lists specifically and you won't garner any good information out of that other than like you had said you know not wasting time in quotes because you know we all enjoy gaming for not just gaming's purpose but you know socializing and all that too but just being able to make sure that you're getting what you want out of the game and that your opponent's on the same page i think social contracts are just so important especially now um you know so many people what you know you get to hear about you know between the lag and releases that ended up happening for you know covid reasons and uh you know the the overall lack of gaming inside game stores like some ice and fire communities and not just ice and fire but a lot of other wargaming communities have kind of like shrunk a little bit because of that and then not having some of these social contracts might cause someone to walk away from the game because they're you know used to playing against some or they get they play against some of the more like dangerous lists out there and things just get beat out of them you know i you know looking back at your some of your patreon conversations on discord there are some folks who are like oh, i want to bring you know x person out to play some games but all they play is night watch so when's a good time to introduce them to the community at large before he makes them all quit right. i mean like those are things where like it doesn't have to be that way. Just have a conversation with that person. They can come out day one and then just like, you know, play something that's, you know, pain in the butt medalist that you would end up taking to a big regional event. You know, it, it's easy peasy. Yeah. And, or, you know, I think Kevin from Three Men in a War Game was making a great point. It's like sometimes it almost sounds like you're kind of vilifying certain strong lists and it's also just a time and a place. Right. And so it may be the other hand, it might be saying like, hey, like we're going to get together and hey, on this night, like I want everyone bringing your you know, you know, sharpen your knives, sharpen your teeth. Let's play the your biggest, toughest lists and let's have at it. And like, you know, let's go for it. And then if you're going to that expectation, like that's a very different, you know, different thing. Yeah. And I think going back to the idea of like competitive and casual play, like it's hard to have these conversations though, right? Because what is a competitive player? It's a spectrum, right? Com casual competitive play is a spectrum. And, you know, no one is one thing all the time, right? We fluctuate different nights, different experiences. You know, it's a label that gets kind of thrown at that. It's like kind of all encompassing. But um, I feel like a lot of times when people use it, we're talking about the fringes, right? Um, yeah, I, and you say like competitive player, like sometimes people associate with like a win at all costs. And, you know, I don't even know if I consider win at all costs like a type of competitive play. That might be like a, a category of like lack of social skill or, or things like that. You know, maybe that's too, maybe that's too harsh to say. I don't know. But uh, it's, you know, competitive players are 
are not like necessarily jerks, right? No, Those no, it's hand in hand. That's, you know, one of the things that I always constantly find myself saying to people is like being from a war machine background where games are usually more competitively minded. Um, it's not that competitive is a four letter word or that it kind of paints the picture of the person you're about to play against as they are one of those like um, you know, win at all cost people or the, the, the war gamers that they warn you about in the, in the threads, right. You know, it, it competitive means so many different things. Oftentimes I frame myself as, um, casually competitive where I want to make sure that I'm bringing my best game to my opponent and I want them to bring their best game as well. And then we just throw down and see what happens. Competitive doesn't always mean I just want to win all the time and I don't care about, you know, what you're doing. Like when they're losing, they're having a bad time. That's just that's that's a different type of player. And I don't know if it's necessarily like a good thing to be that kind of player. But that's I think that's a whole nother conversation. Um, we'll get a psychologist on for that one. That'll be a thing for the future. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, the the thing is, is like 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 you were saying, if people just frame things the way they want to people frame the games the way they want to have them play out, you know, at least to just kind of set the stage like you wouldn't show up to a movie without knowing what's actually playing. You're like, OK, well, instead of actually going to the movie that I want to, I'm going to purchase these tickets for the specific film I want to see. Instead, you're like purchasing a ticket for a genre, right? Like no one does that and no one in their right mind would do that. Some people might get a kick out of it. But like in general, you want to make sure that the thing that you're putting your your money into and your time into is something you want to see. So why not do that with your games? Well, you know, so it sounds like these all circle around identifying what you want, like what are your goals and expectations and communicating those to others. And I think a lot of times when we think about like competitive players or casual players being jerks, like, cause you can be like, oh, that competitive player is a real jerk. Cause it sometimes can feel like they broke a social contract that you didn't, you know, they, they were playing by rules you yeah. weren't playing by. And that can go same thing for casual, right? When I show up and I played, hey, here's just a fun list I threw together cause it was the miniatures I had printed out and someone was expecting a competitive play, they might walk away being like, ah, oh, that really wasted my time. Like that could feel like a jerk. That could be a breaking of that as well. And so yeah. maybe when we're talking about building up community again, really thinking about social contracts is, is kind of a key thing. And how can you facilitate those sorts of meaningful discussions? And then also when you're starting to build up your community, what are the values that you are trying to promote? Is your community skewed towards certain things that you really want to embrace and that you want to have like woven into its social contract. And I think, you know, oftentimes I'm gravitated towards, or oftentimes I gravitate towards communities that, you know, the basic understanding is that we agree that we're going to try and find, you know, positive value in the efforts of of all the members. And so, you know, whatever way you're engaging, we're going to encourage you in that way. And if you're a competitive player, like we want to be, find ways to help support you in that. And like, we're going to try and make room for people, right? And then, you know, assuming that people are going to be, uh, you know, engaging with like positive intent, you know, and, and when you have these situations where there's a mismatch, like, can you promote like a spirit of forgiveness where where you're saying like, you know, that didn't feel great. And like, how can we make that better next time? And a lot of times in some ways, I feel like, you know, when we're trying to rebuild these communities, what we need to be thinking about is the community, right? For a lot of people, you're building friendships too. Like I meet people all the time that are like, you know, actually as a quick kind of aside, like I've had people talk to me about how upset they were about balance changes or the game because it's not about the game. It's about the friendships they have with the community. And when these things maybe go wrong or they're worried about it, it like makes them worry they're going to lose that community, lose that friendship. And so I think as we build up communities going forward, like we got to really keep this in mind. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, when it comes to community growth, you know, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head and making sure that 
you know, you foster the community that not only you want, but you know, that, that, the, the, the greater mind of the community wants, right. It's almost like the, the people you bring to the game are kind of like this hive mind that guide where you're going. So even if you are someone who maybe you really enjoy competitive play and every single scenario needs to be one that's completely competitive without any kind of random elements or anything like that, if your community isn't really wanting that, I think as a community builder, you kind of need to align your, um, your, uh, mind or your goals towards the community as well to make sure that you can foster that growth because if you build the bridge eventually someone might cross it to come over to your side as well you know uh, I, I see this so much with uh with some of the local 40k stuff that we've been doing where uh someone shows up because they watch someone building and painting some stuff and that's the only thing they focus on but then they're like i want to play this game too i'm not going to end up trying to f thrust them into playing like their extremely competitive gt level lists um you know i, I want to make sure that they're kind of they get their hand held in order to kind of integrate with the community a little bit more. And once they end up getting the game under their belt, then from there, they can kind of go where they want. You know, there's so many people who cross, whether it's the YouTube channel or finding me on Facebook or Discord or something where they want to start talking about getting into Ice and Fire. And maybe they only have followed the shows or the books and they're just like, this is my first time getting into wargaming. You know, those are the people that you don't want to be throwing them right away at, you know, here's the most competitive armies. These are what you want to play and don't don't go ahead and start XYZ army because of X reason. You know, you, you it, it's tough to take you or, you know, your own personal alignment on where you stand in the game and kind of remove that when it comes to building communities. But it's one of those things that I think you have to do in order to try and bolster that up. Absolutely. And I'm excited to have more of these discussions and, and try and put this into practice more, too, especially as things start to rebuild. You know, the card packs are arriving. And if they're not in your area, they are trickling across the world. And, you know, they should be there soon. TM or like, you know, <laughs> asterisk. Uh, I can't really, I don't really know. But, you know, they should be there soon. It's time to start building those communities and, and really getting excited for this next year. And so that's kind of something I'm looking forward to. And, you know, I know you do awesome work and, and uh, we're looking forward to more a song of our content from you, sir. And of course, people should all go check out your Facebook page, uh, Big Top Gaming, as well as get you on youtube and you know i'm i'm like uh i'm the worst millennial in the universe um i i have an instagram page but i don't really use it for much of anything um you know one of my things going into 2022 outside of just engaging with content creation more um you know my my life kind of got spun around quite a bit in the last year so um you know, content production has kind of gone a little bit south. I do have a, a, my next video just to give people something to look forward to is going to be centered around uh, the Targaryens Heroes 2 box. Oh, Blood Riders. Let's ride. Even though I have a really hard time saying that's a Heroes 2 box. Um, oh, sounds like we're going to get some opinions. <laughs> yeah, there will be maybe some of the hottest takes. Oh, but, man. Uh, All right. But yeah, you're it's gonna, uh, you're going to you're going to talk about uh, what's his name? Rakar or uh, we're going to hear any mentions of something like that. Yeah. Daenerys. Daenerys is. Oh, OK. <laughs> All right. Oh, I'm excited. I love your videos. I love the way you do your content. Um, I hope we get to see some more Song of Ice and Fire battle reports. I know you've done a lot of War Machine recently, but I, I really do find your um, insight, you know, really helpful for especially for learning and picking up new ways to think about the game so um make sure we all go check that out and if you want to engage in our conversations as well uh patreon supporters you can jump in a discord and have these conversations and you can also find us on our facebook page or our facebook group and you help us continue to build a positive and supportive community there and so we do appreciate all of you so sending out much love 
And, uh, you know, Brian, I think uh, the only thing I wanted to say, um, and maybe this is me being an end of the year sap, but like, I think that going into 2022, it's looking to be a really promising year. You know, like the the new years are always about new growth or the new you or whatever. But I I do think that we're going to see a massive spike in uh, building up that A Song of Ice and Fire community again. I've already seen it between being admins on different uh, Ice and Fire pages and just seeing it on my own channel with people like finding my, you know, two or three year old painting tutorials and commenting on them like Ice and Fire is ready to get built back up again in 2022 and i am so here for it let's do it let's rock and i guess the only thing left to do is uh wish you all guys a happy new year and we hope you get your miniatures on the table